0: Good morning. Ooh, hi there. <laughs> Y'all awake now? <laughs> Sorry, that just sounded in my head. Uh, I don't know how many of you are as fascinated with uh, some things on Twitter as my wife and I are. But uh, we have uh, a Twitter account that we like to follow called Thoughts of Dog. And I just heard in my head what uh, the, how many of those start. Good morning! So, the few of you that are on Twitter... <laughs> might enjoy that. Oh boy. Uh, it is good to be here to, uh, and good to know that uh, most of you have survived the, first start, the start of school. Um, I'm not sure about some others because it looks like you're gone. Um, I'm just kidding, no. Uh, but I, I'm glad you're here because this, there's a lot uh, that wants to keep us from doing what we should be doing and doing what we ought to be doing and doing what is even good for us to be doing Uh, I felt that all week. I have been dragging all week. I've been tired. And even this morning, I was like, man, do I really have to get up and do this? And then I remembered, it's Sunday. I don't have to get the kids ready for school. Let's do this. This is all right. This is a good day. But also because we can come together and worship. We're continuing our series, and I want to start off uh, about the brevity of life. And I want to start off with a story uh, that a news, uh, news institution, institution ran about a woman that was getting married now that may not be interesting what was kind of interesting though it was a little strange is that this woman was 80 years old and she was getting married in a funeral home all right a little interesting in fact this was her fourth marriage and uh, whenever they were asking why you know what what is going on here The woman revealed that this is actually part of her long-range life plan. So the reporter was like, okay, do tell. Well, the first husband, first husband was a banker. The second husband was an actor. The third husband was a preacher. And then the fourth husband, who was about to be married to, was a funeral home director. What in the world, the reporter was asking, so she explained pretty easily. Well, you know, one was for the money, two was for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. got <laughs> You're going to use that one, aren't you? <laughs> I told my wife I'm using one of my favorite preaching jokes this morning. That was it right there. But the truth of the matter is, every one of us should probably give a little bit more thought into going every one of us should think about the day that we are going to go because the bible beckons us to look at the grave not as a as a place of oh no i don't want to go there it ought to be looking at the grave of saying i will be there i can't really affect it i can't change anything about it so i might as well go a way that god intended me to go because on your gravestone on your gravestone, the whole thing that you are soaking up right now, every bit of your life, is going to be defined by a short little dash in between two dates. That's going to be it. That's what you'll get there, but it, you, can have a, you can live in such a way where the dash will actually mean something for eternity. And that's what we ought to live for. It's something that actually means something for much longer than just our short time here. Because let's be honest, life is short. We ought to give some thought into how we cash our dash. We ought to be thinking how we spend our days. In fact, this is a message that Jesus really tried to drive home on multiple occasions, that it is truly important how you spend your days. It really does matter. And so he would tell this in in different stories and in different ways, and one of which that we're going to look at this morning comes from Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is in the middle of a section, or it's near the beginning of a section, where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The crowds have figured out that he's a pretty interesting guy to follow, and so they have gathered around him. On their journey, they're asking advice. They're trying to get him to rule in some of the disputes that they might have, and that's exactly what's going on when we turn to this next story Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 13 I can't get the clicker to work Chris so if you'd click for me that'd be great or try it again says this then someone called from the crowd teacher please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me Jesus replied friend who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that Then he said beware guard against every kind of greed Life is not measured by how much you own. I want to start with just the thought and give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I think he's asking for something pretty fair. He comes to the teacher, he comes to the obvious authority figure that's in this crowd saying, hey, my brother's also in this crowd, I'm just going to assume here, but would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? That seems fair, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't you want the inheritance divided with you this seems fair it's a logical request you know hey jesus ought to be able to put this you know just put this to rest give me a ruling we don't know all what's going on in the guy's heart we're not told we can assume some things but jesus knows something that is happening because jesus response is not oh i'll give you a ruling yeah hey divide it up you know here's a percentage to divide it by that'd be great You know, whether it's 50-50 or, you know, whatever it might have been at the time, whatever was legal, whatever was right, Jesus decides not to answer that and say, look, I'm not the judge of that kind of thing, but let me tell you, there's something at the heart of your question that we need to deal with. And Jesus jumps straight to the heart and says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not the question this guy asked but it's what's going on in his heart. It's what's going on in his heart saying, hey wait. I want my share. I want my piece of the pie. I want my little bit of raise, I want my little bit of whatever it is, my recognition in this life, so that my life will actually mean something. I want more stuff so that I can have more meaning. And we attribute a lot of those things, don't we? We attribute a lot of our stuff to our meaning. I think we struggle with the same idea. We spend our life on the wrong things. We spend so much of our time, so much of our money, so much of our effort on things that just don't matter. Jesus wants us to view this world as being something more than just this physical, material world that we see. He says, hey, it's a spiritual world, too. There's a lot of things that we think matter, but life is of a more matter than just the accumulation of matter. Life is more important than just the cash that we might have in our wallet. Life is more important than the house that we might have on the street that everyone envies. Life is more important than anything in this physical realm. Doesn't mean that the physical realm isn't important. It just means, hey, we ought to have a view on something much longer. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home here is that there is something that is a much longer view that is much more important than what you see right in front of your face. But some of us have forgotten that because we have spent so much of our our dash trying to acquire all the cash. Jesus drives this home, tells a story to help us realize that that is a futile way to live. So he goes on with this story in verse 16. He says this. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down the barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, I always love that, self, you have enough stored away for years to come. And keeps on going. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. First thing I want you to notice in this story is that this rich man is not condemned for being rich. There is nothing about the, uh, his wealth that it is indicating that he got it by ill means. That he got it by lying, by being a cheat, by stealing, by treating anyone else unfairly. This is a good bumper crop year. That's all it's saying is this guy all of a sudden had a good year of a good crop. Those of you in farming or have ever been in farming, you know that those years don't happen too often. And when they do, you praise God for them because you're like, good. That might have actually covered up for the six years of famine that we just had. We might be able to make ends meet this year. This man gets a good year in crops. That's not bad. See, being rich was not the problem. But sometimes the things that we count on earth don't account for much in heaven. The things that we are counting on on this earth may not count much in the next life. And that's what Jesus is trying to drive home. Notice again what he says in verse 12, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 15. He says, Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That ought to be a sense of relief for us. Because we spend so much of our life trying to accumulate the things that give us standing in our world. We got to make sure that we have. the the nice phone, the good house, the good car, all these things, whatever it might be in our world that says we have status, we have the stuff that makes life really important. And Jesus says that's not how life is measured. In other words, what he is saying here by saying guard against every kind of greed, life is not measured by the things that you own. What he's trying to say is that when we stand before God and our dash is assessed, he's not going to question or ask us how much cash we've amassed. It's not what he's going to ask. Jesus warns of these problems with our pursuit of cash. And he gives a few misgivings, that people have in this story. He brings up several warnings. First is this, cash does not add more time to your dash. Now, whenever I say cash, I I wanna qualify that. I'm not meaning just monetary, you know, bills, cents, things like that. I'm meaning anything that we try to acquire that's of materialistic nature. The things that we get, that we bring in, that we strive to attribute value to our life. That's what I'm saying by cash. Cash does not add more time to your dash. Look at the fool. The fool in this story, he says to himself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Do you hear the assumption that he's making? His assumption is that because he has lots of stuff, he's got lots of time you realize that's an assumption? I would make a guess that most people in this room are going to run out of time before you run out of stuff. It's just an assumption. But if history shows anything, that's been the case. You leave behind something. You leave behind some things, but we have fooled ourselves or we have let the devil fool us into thinking that prosperity means security. That just because you're prosperous means that you can eat, drink, and be merry. That you have a little bit more time. This is the reason that we get so nervous when the stock market crashes. We all of a sudden think, I don't have as much money, which means I don't have as much time. We equate the two. You can't buy time with money. That's not how it works. There's a lot of things you can get with with money, but time is not... One of them. But we live in this idea that those who are prosperous, those who are more affluent, live longer. This is why as a culture we're surprised at death of most any age. Whenever someone dies young, we're surprised. You know most of the world isn't surprised when someone dies whenever they die. But we have attributed that if someone is affluent, like most of Americans are, that they should live longer than average. We have somehow equated that our cash will somehow give us more time, but that's simply not the case. You know, the rich people, they die too soon as well. Sometimes poor people outlive the rich. I don't know what we're basing this on except a lie of the devil, because money can't buy you more time. What money can buy is more ways to spend your cash in the dash. Which leads to the second misgiving that this guy says. He, he says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. This misgiving now is he is equating that the cash will end up giving him more joy. But cash will not add more joy to your dash. Another one of Satan's lies, especially in our world, is this lie in our culture to believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. You believe it, right? Much of our world believes you can purchase happiness. Happiness. In fact, we even have those kind of sayings and things like, I know money can't buy happiness, but it can buy, you know, whatever it is for you, but I like cake, and that's about the same thing. You know, people say that, and we have that, you know, we can buy coffee, which I'm like, strange and weird with that, but then I'm beginning to like coffee, which is weird in in and of itself. That's not how it works. Just because you have more money doesn't mean you're gonna have more joy. They are not connected like that. Don't believe me? Ask a guy by the name of Billy Bob Harrell, Jr. Billy Bob Harrell. He won the Texas lotto in 1997. He won $31 million. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm not going to say anything about the lotto and whether you should do that or not, but if someone were to just knock on your door and say, hey, because you live at this house, here's $31 million bucks," you wouldn't refuse it, would you? You'd... Enjoy that, You'd figure out what to do, 31 million, man, a lot that can be done. Well, Billy Bob Harrell, he, uh, he no longer had to stock shelves at Home Depot. He quit that, I would too. He bought a ranch, a couple other houses, he gave money to his church, and he also made loans to his friends. It seemed like everyone wanted a piece of his money and he was a pretty generous guy, so it seemed with all of this money, but after a little bit, his marriage couldn't hold, couldn't hold on. He was in a lot of tru- trouble. He lent and spent all of his winnings in less than two years. In fact, in 1999, less than two years after his big win, Billy Bob Harrell committed suicide. Do you really think that more money is going to bring you happiness? Look at his life. But we live like that, don't we? How many of us in this room are guilty of the, the lure and the lie of money saying, if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be happy? Now, you may equate happiness in different things. If I get a little bit more, then I can have that vacation. If I get a little bit more, then I can take a little more time off. If I get a little bit more, then I can afford the thing that I've been wanting. If I get a little bit more, then I can live in the house that I want, I can drive the car that I want, and I will be happy. You know that doesn't work, right? We always say it's a curse of home ownership. If you rent uh, from someone and something goes wrong, You can call them to come and fix it, but whenever you own a house, you know what happens? (laughs) Something's gonna go wrong. The air conditioning's gonna go out. The plumbing's gonna back up. And you're gonna have to spend more money on the thing that you already spent a lot of money on. And sometimes that house that you bought that was your dream house becomes the money pit. If you haven't watched that movie in a while, you probably should, that's a good one. But we get this idea that we tie our sense of worth to what we have. We tie our sense of joy to the things of this life. But when we do that, we're always going to be disappointed because there's always something more to have. There's always something else out there that is promised of fulfilling our joy. Abundant living is not the consequence of being able to fill a barn with the surplus. Abundant living is a consequence of being filled with the Spirit, no matter how big your barn is. Being filled fully with the Spirit. But a fool, they just can't see that because a fool is focused on themselves, which leads to the third misgiving that this man has. Cash must not add more me to your dash. Have you ever noticed in the story that there's no one else? I mean, where are the other people in the story? Where's the guy's wife? Where's his children? Where's his friends? They're not, a, uh, they're not there. This guy plans to himself. He speaks to himself. He parties with himself. He congratulates himself, and he dies by himself. What an unfortunate way to live. Where are other, the other people in his life? How much different would his dash have been had he invested the surplus of his grain into the bellies of the needy in his community. Seriously, he would walk around in his community and see all the people that he is allowed to live. By his generous giving, he has given them another day of food. And they smile at him. There's nothing more in this world that can fulfill your joy than watching someone truly appreciate your gift. Where's this man's view of others? He misses it. Look again at the warning Jesus, Jesus gives in Luke 20, uh, 12, 21, but this time from the message. It says this, this is what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. That's a humbling message, isn't it? When you fill your barn with self, whenever your whole world, your whole life is all about you, that's what happens. You'll die a lonely person because the only ones that have, you've ever cared about is yourself. What are you giving in your dash? What are you spending your life on? A guy by the name of Alfred Nobel became exceedingly rich selling his inventions and his inventions were um, well, the most obvious one is uh, dynamite. He invented dynamite. In fact, he changed the way the world did war. His inventions changed how we did war. Well, one morning he's reading the paper, and much to his surprise, he reads his own obituary. Now, m- newspaper made a mistake. It's his brother who died, but they wrote the obituary of Alfred. What really caught him was what it said. The headline read "Dynamite King Dies." It goes on to describe the exploits of what they called the Merchant of Death. It was a humbling story for him to read what other people thought of his life, and he vowed right then and there he is going to rewrite his story. He's going to make sure that his real obituary says something else. And so he set up a large portion of his funds to set up a thing called the Nobel Peace Prize because he wanted a different story. Now, you know of the Nobel Peace Prize. You probably know that more than that the same guy invented dynamite. But he said later on, and I love this, he said that he wished every person would have the opportunity opportunity to read their obituary in time to re- re- rewrite it. Tripping over my words there. How much of a blessing would that be to you? If you could read the obituary that other people would write about you in time to change it, if needs be. See, the purpose of this series is really to help each of us focus that if you found out that you were terminally ill, if you found out that you only have a few months or a few weeks or a few days to live, you wouldn't have to change a thing in your life. Because you are living in such a way that honors God and honors the people around you that everyone is going to be blessed every day that you are living, no matter how long you are here. But see, most of us need in our, our obituary read to us to realize we have really missed our priorities. We have put our value in the cash. We have tried to make the cash do the things that it can never do. And so Jesus says, if you want to live the right kind of story, if you want to live the right kind of obituary, here's, here's the key. Be rich towards God. In other words, I believe what he's saying is that we should give up if we don't want our cash to crash our dash, we should give up. More often, we spend our cash trying to build up things that in time are only gonna be torn down. What Jesus is saying is if we have a rich relationship with God, we are investing in something that will never depreciate. We are investing in something that will grow beyond our own life, something that will have value Until infinity comes and passes. That's the kind of thing that you want. This is not just some, well, 30 year interest, you know, that it'll grow in 30 years. That's a long range plan. No, no, no. This is an eternal plan. Invest in the things that truly have meaning. We need to realize we're just a breath, we're just a mist. The, th- the time that we have here on this earth is really short. But we can give of our stuff in a way that has repercussions throughout eternity. And I'm going to call that missed giving. When we give in light that we are missed, when we give of our time, of our effort, of our resources, We are depositing in a bank that truly, truly has wonderful payout. We need to do some misgiving because every time time that you offer sincere worship to God, in your praise, in your time together, in your efforts, and in your contribution of money, you are giving something that will actually really last. You may not see the dividends in this life and that's okay because you'll be reaping the dividends for the rest of eternity. It's worth it. It's worth it to invest in godly things. When you every, every time that you spend some time strengthening your character, you're investing to be rich toward God, when you strengthen your character to be more like Jesus, every time you speak the name of Jesus to someone who has never heard it or someone who needs to hear it, needs to hear about the wonderful news of the saving grace of Christ, you are making deposits in a heavenly bank. That will be amazing. Every time you act with compassion, every time you sacrifice what you have to advance the kingdom of God here on this earth, you have done some very wise, missed giving. See, the thing is, what I want you to hear from this whole sermon, it's not simply about how much you have. It's not how much cash you have or how much things you have. Rather, what this life is about is how you spend your dash, Spend the cash that you have, spend the time that you have, spend the efforts you have, spend the, the, everything that makes you, you. Your personality, the things that you have to offer, your skill set. When you hoard those for yourself, having me kind of thinking, you are robbing the world and you're robbing eternity. But when you give your cash, you give yourself, you give your life, For the cause of the kingdom, your little dash has repercussions that will be sung about in eternity. And that's the kind of life that truly has meaning. So this morning, if you're ready to give your all to Christ... That may be reflected, in you, it will be reflected in your checkbook. It's going to be reflected in your time spent. It's going to be reflected in your priorities, all these things. But if you're ready to give your all to Christ, we want to welcome you because there's no better time than the present. We're not guaranteed tomorrow that if you want to give your life to Christ, you come and give, give of your life through the waters of baptism saying, I am dying to myself so that I can be raised anew in him. You will enter a life that is truly blessed. A life that will not cease, even when the grave says our end date's here. That life is truly worth it. If you want to give of your time, your effort, your money, and your whole life to this God that will give you back something that you could never get on yourself, then we welcome you to let that be known. Come talk to one of the elders and ministers surrounding this auditorium as we sing this next song. Would you come join us as we sing?